Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to The Last Symptom, where I am Brian Barnett, the creator and host of the program. You might be able to tell by my voice that I've been sick for a few days. To be perfectly honest with you, I feel like I got bucked off my horse and trampled by him. But we'll get through this. I want to mention that I have a website full of free growing resources that you really should check out. It's over at thelastsymptom.com. While you are there, consider leaving me a donation for my overall body of work, which includes time and expenses associated with this show, the website I just mentioned, as well as one-on-one pro bono efforts I contribute toward individuals in some poor parts of the world who have limited resources. If you are interested in hiring me as a consultant, this is also something that you can schedule and pay for right at thelastsymptom.com. Now, last week I promised that today we'd be discussing the topic is your sensitivity to blame for your borderline personality disorder. Well, I hope you'll accept my apology that we're going to push that back another week. The thing is, I've been so sick. Man cold is a real thing, you know. I mean, it's just obliterated me. And because I've just been so miserable, I haven't finished writing the program that I wanted to present to you today. There's a couple of other subjects I wanted to discuss with you, and that's going to take up a big portion of today's program. Anyway, I appreciate your understanding, and as I said, we'll get through this, and I'll try to make it as entertaining and as informative as I can. My code of ethics, I thought I should explain them so that you know what to expect from me. Since I hold no license in any medical or psychological field, I'm not beholden to any oversight body. So technically, I'm not obligated by any kind of law or anything like that to privacy, some set code of ethics, nothing like that. However, I take people's trust extremely seriously in what I'm doing here. So I wanted to tell you what you can expect from me. This is for people who might interact with me in the future, as well as people who have interacted with me in the past. First, I will never share anything in my work that could possibly be used to identify you. Sometimes I share certain details of specific interactions I have, like I'll be doing today, because they're beneficial to the greater good. But when I do this, I will never reveal any identifying details about you. Hospital staff does this, you know. During in-house education presentations, they talk in great detail 
about the issues that certain patients have dealt with. They even show photographs, you know, of surgeries and that sort of thing going on. But they never go on to describe the patient enough so that they might be identified, such as name, location, and these sorts of things. So that is the model that I personally follow. As a professional interpreter in the medical field for 17 years, I have a thorough understanding of, and I'm very accustomed to, observing principles of privacy. And it's something that I take very seriously. To give you an example of how seriously I take this, I have marriage partners who contact me separately, and I do not so much as reveal to one that I have spoken to the other. That's how much I value their privacy. You know, it doesn't do any good if a, a husband, let's say, reaches out and contacts me and shares private things with me that uh, maybe he doesn't want his wife to know about. Same thing for the wife. I value each individual's personal privacy that way. It's not my place to decide what he or she should be telling the other. It's perfectly private with me. It's just I don't cross that line. So again, your privacy is something I take very seriously. Other than that, what else about you do I accept responsibility for? Well, <laughs> there's no excuse not to know the answer to that question. Because isn't it true that every one of my shows opens with the answer? I don't assume responsibility for anything you do or don't do. I don't accept responsibility for anything you think or feel. I have never claimed that I can cure you. Instead, what has been my firm claim ever since the beginning? That nobody except for you can cure you. That recovery is an individual accomplishment that you alone are responsible for everything you think, you feel, and you do. That you alone have any inherent right, responsibility, or authority over you, yourself. I even come up with a name to describe this reality. The law of individual Inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Got some coffee here. I'm going to take a sip and try to soothe my throat here. Hmm. Now, honey, that's a good cup of coffee. So this leads me into the next thing I want to talk about. There are two specific individuals who are on my mind this week. And... I know almost for a certainty that at least one of them is listening to this show. So don't worry, I'm not going to, nobody's going to know who you are. But I wanted to share some things about my interaction with you because you and this other person are studying contrasts. The first person has been on my mind for all the right reasons. He scheduled an appointment to talk one-on-one -on -one with me this past Saturday. He's been following me for a year now, at least. 
And he has listened to all my podcasts a dozen times each, always seeing what he can get, if there's more that he can get out of them. He went to thelastsymptom.com and he paid me a, a fair amount of money that he doesn't really have to spare right now for my personal undivided attention. At different points in our conversation, he had expressed editing choices that have pissed him off <laughs> about my Facebook group. He also shared with me that my move to a new YouTube channel pissed him off. And you know what? I appreciated that. I appreciated that he trusted me and felt comfortable enough with me to tell me that. It, I didn't take it as an attack against myself. I saw it for what it was. He was just expressing himself. That's, that's all he was doing. He was just being honest with me. And I, I valued that very much. So why is he on my mind this week? Because, to be honest with you, I was deeply, deeply touched by his trust in me. And I have such great hopes for him and for his efforts. When we finished our phone call together, I felt regret that I hadn't been able to facilitate him having some greater insights within that one-hour phone call. And after the call, I resolved to think deeply about his situation in particular and about how to most effectively address and answer some of, the, some of the doubts he's dealing with. So, buddy, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. And I want to say I hope you're doing well out there. I hope you've given some thought to what I said I, that I would personally do first if I were in your situation. And I hope that you haven't entirely ruled out doing that for yourself. Also, I hope you've thought a bit about how similar my situation was to yours just four short years ago and how I also could not fully see how things moving forward were possibly going to get better. I hope you've been keeping in mind how I was dealing with a humiliating living an employment situation that was a real test on my ability to fully buy into the concept of inherent self-worth. But because I refused to wallow in my current circumstances of the time, and I trudged forward, I trudged forward even though I was hurting and things were gloomy and bleak, with my eye towards what I hoped would follow, I got through it, and my situation improved tremendously, not only externally, but more importantly, internally. Now, those extremely unpleasant hard times are only a brief memory in my past that I can talk about as if it were a blip, just a blip on the radar. Because in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty much what it was. I'm telling you this because I don't have superpowers. I don't have superpowers. There's nothing special about me that got me through that. Yet here I am on the other side of it. Life is a lot different. It's a lot better. 
you must believe that all of us who have ever been in a similar situation to yours, and there are so many who are going through similar situations as yours right this minute, right along with you. Believe me, because I talk to these people all the time. But you must believe that they all feel the same nagging doubts about whether anything will ever be different. And, you know, we also deal with the same sorts of confusions, the same sorts of disappointments, the same unrelenting attacks against our sense of dignity. So why would I tell you such something that seems so depressing on the surface? That thousands of people, you know, are dealing with similar issues to yours. Well, I'm telling you this because your situation is not one that has never been endured and beaten. It's true that it is inappropriate for anybody, myself included, to say they know what you're going through. Because the truth is, without being you, they couldn't possibly know exactly what it's like and all that you're dealing with. But as for the situation itself, the situation, many people have not only gotten through similar or even more difficult situations, but they came out of it improved in every way. Finally, I want to remind you of one last thing. Apart from the group I recommended joining, my second most important recommendation that I really hope you've been thinking hard about is catching yourself when your thoughts turn to self-loathing and hate and nipping that in the bud. It seemed to be very, well, way too natural for you to go into into those bouts of self-hate. You know, really, really uh, angry and beyond angry. Getting angry at yourself is one thing, but this was this was beyond. This was, you know, you wanted to punch yourself in the face. I could hear it. So please work on catching yourself when your thoughts are go into that direction and nipping that in the bud immediately. You know, those types of thoughts and emotional energy are not constructive at all. Not at all. So let me ask you something now. Anything that is not constructive... Is it a worthwhile way to spend your time and energy? Yeah, I I appeal to you with this illustration because as men, often we want to do things in the most efficient way possible, right? Most of us prefer to use our time and energy in a way that it's directed to get results. And when we realize that half of our energy and our efforts are being wasted and not contributing to whatever goal it is that we're trying to accomplish. We make changes. We make changes real quick once we once we perceive that we're doing that. For example, if you're going out to mow the grass, you don't want to dick around making 12 passes over the same row that you've already mowed and is done. Why not? Because it's a pointless use of your energy and time. And the energy and time that you'd have to spend doing that could be used 
to mow the parts of your yard that haven't been touched yet. Self-hate and self-loathing. This, I'm stupid, I can, I, I'm such an idiot, you know, I, God, why am I such a, an idiot, or, you know, <laughs> much harsher terms. These things are as constructive. They're as constructive to you as going out to mow the grass, but only mowing repeatedly the same single row. It moves you nowhere closer whatsoever to your goal. You know, I watched a documentary about Chris Farley the other day. What a tragedy, right? Chris Farley. You know, if you're, if you're not in the United States, you might not know who he is. But in the 90s, he was really big on a show called Saturday Night Live here in the United States. Later, he got into the movies. He did a movie called Tommy Boy that you might have heard of. Chris Farley was such a beloved individual by everybody. He was just beloved. They found him uh, dead of a drug overdose. And, you know, a lot of people had been expecting it to happen for a long time because the guy was just out of control with, with a lot of things. He had, he had a lot of problems. He had an eating problem. He had drug problem. He had drinking problem. He had problems. But who of us who remember Chris Farley does not agree that his story is tragic? It's just a tragedy, any way you look at it. Well, do you know what killed Chris Farley? Nope. It was not the drug overdose. The drug overdose was merely a symptom of what killed Chris Farley. The drugs were just a symptom. So what killed him? What can we say truly killed Chris Farley? You know the answer. It was self-loathing. Self-loathing. He hated himself. One of the funniest, most beloved men in the world, and yet he could not truly see this reality, that people loved him. Why? Because of self-loathing, and that's tragic. The lesson is that every person who's dealing with self-loathing or self-hate or shame, it's all the same thing, is being blocked from seeing the reality of their worth. But just like in Chris Farley's case, the fact that you are unable at the moment to perceive your worth does not in any way mean it isn't there. All it means is that shame is blinding you to it. So please, work hard on first recognizing your self-hate when it's happening, and then rob it of its power by thinking of all the many ways that the messages of shame are impossible. They're a lie. That can take a lot of work to separate anger from hate, from disappointment, from shame and so on. But it's worth doing because, you know, when we talk about anger, anger can be uh, constructive. Disappointment can be constructive. But shame, self-loathe, and these things are not constructive in any way. Waste of time. Okay, so there's the first example of the person I'm thinking about this week for all the right reasons. I hope he hears this with a smile on his face, and I hope that... um, In the future, he will replay it many, many times. This one starts off specifically for him. 
to be re-listened to as a reminder as often as he needs to, to hear it. And it's for you, too. That's why I've put it in the show, because, because I have no doubt that my encouragement for him can also be your encouragement as well. Now, let me contrast him with the second person who's on my mind for the wrong reason. And this is no way, in no way, meant to embarrass her if she's listening. Nobody's going to know who she is except for she, herself, and, and me. My purpose for sharing this is that it makes a good teaching opportunity. I want folks to be able to see how her attitude is so screwed up, to be blunt about it, and how she can't even see it. And how this is the thing keeping her from any real advancement. She herself is the one blocking herself from any real advancement. So the person gets on my bad side right from the start when she writes me a message through my personal, non-business Facebook Messenger. So what she does is she circumvents any need to go through my official website where she can schedule personal time with me, where my time can be reimbursed. And the purpose of her message is to offer is to offer for me to spend my time so that she can debate me on why my perspectives on borderline personality disorder are wrong. Let me set the stage for you so you understand just how idiotic this is. I once upon a time had borderline personality disorder. My expertise on the subject which I acquired by intense study and examination over the course of seven years, cured me of the disorder so that I no longer have it. But this woman, who has borderline personality disorder and has never figured out how to get better, wants to offer me a chance to debate her so she can explain why my understanding of the disorder is wrong. Do you know what that's like? That's like you offering marriage advice to a man who has been in a perfect marriage for 60 years, who makes his living as a marriage counselor, even though you are on your third marriage and you and your wife only argue all of the time. Do you know how much your opinion matters in that situation? Zero. It doesn't matter at all. Not at all. Your opinion on that matter is literally worthless. So I'm going to quote a literal portion of her message here and provide some commentary as we go. She says, Hey Brian, I've been listening to your podcast and following your group a little. So she had been with my group for about a month. She invested very little. But she has arrived at her conclusions. And what is informing her conclusions? Let's see. I really appreciate and respect a lot of what you say, your hard work, and your good intentions. I disagree with quite a bit of your opinions. So again... The person who has borderline personality disorder currently 
and can't figure out how to get rid of it is saying that the information I share is nothing more than my opinion. That over the course of my genuine recovery, I just developed some very strong opinions. Let's stop here for a minute, because this word opinion gets vomited at me uh, way too often. Do you even know what that word means, opinion? Because I get the feeling that most people either do not, or that it's a sly word to pull out when you feel cornered with information you don't like. When your doctor tells you that the human body needs vitamin C, is that an opinion? No, that's not an opinion. All human bodies need vitamin C. Does it matter that people are individuals and that every person's life experiences and situations are different? No, it does not matter. Every human body needs vitamin C. This is not an opinion. It is just the reality. Without vitamin C, will different human bodies do completely unexpected things? No, all human bodies do exactly the same expected things when it doesn't get vitamin C. So what I share here about borderline personality disorder are not my opinions. They are simply the reality. So take it or stick it up your backside. I don't care. I mean, I do care. I do care. But I care within the context of it's your decision. You know, you can either make use of it or, or don't. I'll move right on to the next person who values what I have to say. That's the way I see it. She goes on. People are looking to you to save them. Now, let me ask you again. What disclaimer do I force you to muddle through at the very beginning of every one of these shows? What has always been the very foundation of my whole approach to this work That's right. The law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Am I responsible for any other person except for myself? Do I have any control at all over anybody who hears me state these things as plainly as I possibly can, but does not listen? No, I don't. Have I ever said That anybody except for you yourself can cure you of borderline personality disorder? No. Genuine recovery is an individual accomplishment. The best I can be for anybody is the footsteps in the snow. The roadmap. I did it, and I'm sharing with you how I did it, along with the insights about the roadblocks and the dead ends, that I encountered and had to get around along the way. She says, The differences in developmental stage during which the invalidation occurred makes all the difference to how that experience is encoded in the brain 
and thus affects how this thing plays out. There are so many variables. Now let me ask you, this is me speaking, if you have parents who exist with the fundamental perspective themselves that feelings are shameful and devoid of any inherent worth, do they wait, is it even possible for them to wait until you are 12 years old before they begin exposing you to these distorted attitudes? No. So I don't know what sort of situation she's pulling out of her ass here. But if your parents have the perspective that your feelings are unimportant, that feelings in general are unimportant, when you are 12, they sure as heck had that perspective when you were 3, and when you're 9, and when you're 50. Unless, of course, they've done the same work that we're all doing here to identify it, address it, and fix it. This woman's so smart that she's an idiot. In her attempt to be smart, she's being a total moron. She wants to get tangled up in so many details and make this so complicated that she's confusing her own self. You ever hear that expression, can't see the forest for the trees? Well, this woman is the epitome of that expression. Instead of looking at the thing simply and simplifying it down to its basic fundamentals, she's getting in her own way. But you haven't even heard the best of it yet. Here's how she finishes. Remember, this is the woman offering me an opportunity to debate her as if I have absolutely nothing more constructive to do with my time, as if I just love to waste my time arguing unnecessarily with those who are only interested in telling me, the guy who has already done it, the guy who has already figured it out and done it, how wrong I am. She says, BPD has stolen my life and even my future, and 25 years of bullshit therapy has wasted most of my time and money, and it's pretty clear that it's up to me to save myself. So for the last four years, I've spent approximately 2000 on psychology texts and God knows how many hours researching on the internet. I am also a trained psychologist. I have a very keen interest and aptitude for this topic. To be honest, you come across as, it's my way or the highway. So I'm curious how you will take this. It seems from comments you have made that if someone does not agree with you, then they are insincere. All right, back to me. There's so much I could go into here, but I'll try to keep it brief. Is sincerity a feeling? Is sincerity a matter of just feeling that you are sincere? No. No. Just as in the past episode, episode 47, when I explained that love is not a feeling, but a quality. Sincerity is also a quality. It's not a feeling. No matter how sincere this woman feels, her feelings are totally irrelevant to whether or not she is actually sincere. Sincerity either matches the qualifications to be identified as sincerity, or it's not sincerity. 
So is this woman's behaviors and thoughts living up to what qualifies as being identified as sincerity? No, not at all. She was never in my group to learn. She came in with a critical mind, and she's so unwilling to let go of this illusion of intelligence in order to learn and gain real insight that she herself right now is her own obstacle to any chance whatsoever of any genuine recovery. She's right about one thing, though. Only she, ultimately, can save herself. But just think of all of what she has just described. 25 years of struggling has made no headway. Her hopes of being a mother shot, untold hours of research, thousands of dollars spent, not including what she's paid for schooling in psychology. And yet, the woman who is in the heart of this situation wants to tell me why I am wrong. Why I am wrong. Is it as clear to you as it's clear to me what is holding this woman back? Her own attitude is holding her back. Her own insistence that she knows. That's right. Her insistence that she knows. That is what is holding her back. I mentioned in my conversation with Archana, my guest a couple episodes back, that genuine recovery is a teeter-totter. One has to recognize that they don't have the answers. The consequences of doing things their way is undeniable proof of it. On the other hand, you can't just go around trusting everybody either. So where's the balance? The balance is in being able to recognize the simple truth when you hear it. That's all. And this woman is not there. So she mentions the my way or the highway thing. And this is a recurring criticism that my critics throw at me. And so maybe until now I haven't explained my attitude on it very well. But let me try again. I'm not a charity to the world. The world does not get to choose how my time and my efforts get used. Who does get to decide that? Who does get to decide how my time and efforts get used? I do, right? And only me. That being the case, my qualification for who gets the benefit from my time is very simple. It's this. Anybody who is already receptive and sincere. Are receptiveness and sincerity feelings? Are they determined by what the person coming to me feels? No. No. They're qualities. Just like love is not a feeling, it is a quality. What are the fundamental qualities a person needs before the possibility of recovering from an emotional disorder is even possible? Yeah, the two things I just mentioned. Receptiveness and sincerity. Without receptiveness and sincerity, genuine recovery is simply not in the cards. So now let me ask you this, knowing 
what we now know. What would it mean for my efforts and time if I were to use my efforts and time on people who are clearly not receptive or sincere? Knowing what we know, would that be rational of me? No, it would not be rational. So if I were to do it anyway, engage with these sorts of people, what are the only conclusions a reasonable person could draw? Well, that I was not actually cured, for one thing. That I could not even distinguish when I was wasting my time. That the most important thing to me was proving myself right. That emotionally unhealthy people were able to draw me into pointless debates and so on. A person who knows for certainty what he knows does not feel any need to engage with morons who clearly do not know what they're talking about. What is the point of that? I don't do that because I don't have to do that. And I can already hear the chatter going off about why I've spent so much time on this subject today if what I'm saying here is all true. And the answer is that as a teaching tool, as a way to solidify trust with others, Sometimes these experiences I have with others do serve a legitimate purpose. Do I wish anything bad on this woman? No, absolutely not. My whole approach, as you know, is painfully direct. To be totally honest, what I'm hoping for her from this, if she's listening, is that it will snap her out of being her own worst obstruction to recovery. If she reaches out to me in the future and I perceive that she has acquired the qualities of genuine receptiveness and sincerity, that she's no longer a waste of my time, I will do everything I can within the limits of the reality of the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority to facilitate her efforts. I want nothing but good things for everybody dealing with emotional unhealth. You know, that's true for all of us, not just her. That we are our number one greatest hurdles to recovery. Have you ever thought about that? There's absolutely no question about it. In her case, she's taking what's very simple and complicating it way beyond what it needs to be. Because you see, the external affirmation of a sense of intelligence is more important to her right now than actually being intelligent genuinely. If she can recognize that about herself and surrender it, I can imagine her making great strides very quickly. But whatever the specifics of you yourself, whoever's listening to this, you are always your number one greatest hurdle without a doubt. That's why genuine receptiveness and sincerity are non-negotiable. So two studies in contrast there. One person I'm very invested in, and the other, a person I, I hope the best for, but only she alone can fix the few things that she must fix before anybody can help her. I think what we can do today is uh, end with a poem, because we haven't done that for a while. So let me see what I can find. Anything good here? 
Here's a beautiful poem by Jose Martí from his collection Versos Sencillos. I don't have a name for it here. It just says Versos Sencillos Tres, Three. I hate the masks and vices out in the halls of my inn. I'm going back to the meek hubbub of my laurel mountains. With the poor of the earth, I want to cast my destiny. Mountain streams are more satisfying than all the oceans. Let vain men covet gold that burns and shines in its pot. But I, I want the eternal woods when sunlight breaks loose in them. Jose Martí, Versos Sencillos, 3. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to feeling better and talking to y'all next Thursday. This is Brian Barnett signing off, as always. Thanks for listening. (music) 